Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Volrath Feed. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef here at the Volrath Company. And joining me, as always, is our producer, Justin Pearson. Justin, how are you today? I'm doing exceptional today, sir. And you? <laughs> You're such a liar. I was with you this morning, don't you remember? <laughs> well, this morning's over, so now it's like, all right, I can I can actively decide oh. to be exceptional now. <laughs> well, I appreciate the attitude. I'm, uh, <laughs> I was kind of thinking, oh, I wonder how he's going to answer that. Well, oh, good. I'm glad you're doing better, though. Yeah, well, you know, you can only do so much <laughs> when you're trying to troubleshoot technical problems that are yeah. out of your control. Yeah. So you just got to, like, let it go and let the universe be, and then more times than not, they <laughs> tend to work out. So. All right. Well, I'm sorry for calling you out there, but I just didn't... <laughs> When you said, oh, wonderful, there's no way. Anyway, all right. Hey, today, though, on our show, we have, um, as always, a, a great guest with us. Today, we have Robin Rada on the show, who is a project manager in the construction build area at the Belter Company. So we'll be chatting with her a little bit later. And I know we've had some uh, consultants and or some people in the design area on the show before, and um, it'll just be interesting. She's more of a project manager. She's done some big builds, uh, Trump Tower down in Chicago area and some other pretty high-profile jobs. So maybe we'll get her to get some good insight on how those all come together or some of the things that happen along the way. And, you know, we talked about things like this before with design spaces, right? It's like one of those things when you walk in and it's done well, you're like, whoa, this is really good. And then if it's not, you we kind of all pick up on those little things, right? And mm-hmm. so... Well, it'll be fun, I'm sure, talking to her uh, a little bit later. A good design is one of those things that when it's done right, you don't think about. And mm-hmm. yeah, there, there are moments, if you're particularly if you're in the industry, you're like, oh, this is, this is designed very nicely. The flow, mm-hmm. everything works. But your average person, one of the best compliments you can have is that there's no complaints. Mm-hmm. And that means you've done something right. But everybody notices bad design. A lot of big problems pop up from that. And Right. No, I know we've we've talked about this in the past where, and I, the one that I remember most when I walked in and I looked at a design and I thought, uh-oh, something, just somebody missed this, you know, where you've got crossing paths of traffic and, and things that are pretty easy maybe to see after they're done, but I suppose on paper it all made sense. And those are the things that I think her 33 years of experience uh, in the business is going to, um, going to help and, and give us some stories on how she avoids those types of situations. Yeah, all too often when you have uh, when you don't involve a consultant or a, a food service designer, then you're you're dealing with engineers where, yeah, you know, it looks great or con- or uh, architects, and it's like, yeah, that looks mm-hmm. great on paper. Yeah, everything flows nicely, and then once you get it outside of that vacuum, you know, real life has another thing to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at her sheet here. We have that's uh, a couple of projects she's done. Beatrix. Uh, offshore at Navy Pier, the Hilton Hotel at McCormick Place. I, we've got some experience with that one. I think that's where um, the NRA show is at. And we've stayed at that hotel. So a couple of good jobs here for us to talk about with her. And So Robin, she is involved with the Belter Company, which is a big dealer in our industry. And um, that's going to be maybe a little bit different than some of the other diner, designer consultants and designers that we've talked to as they work more for a consulting agency. And this is a dealer now. So there's going to be maybe a few things that are a little different there. Belter is, as I said, one of the biggest in our industry. So after spending as much time as Robin 
has in the industry. She's she's got to have some things that she does in her process that we can hopefully hit upon and, and maybe some of our listeners can relate to and implement in their own business just on ways that she does things and puts processes in place. And, and you know, she's got to have some things that she's figured out along the way to make her job a little more efficient and more, you know, she's got big, big jobs with big deadlines. So it's, right. it's got to be done right. Right. That, that's exactly it. You know, when, when you're doing some high profile jobs, like, like she has done, you have no other choice, but to do it as efficiently and effectively as possible because there there's just no tolerance for for mistakes but that that those processes can be translated and scaled down to your mom and pop operators mm-hmm. so there's there's something to be gained and learned uh, at, at at every level absolutely it's it's a, what I always say about our podcast right i always i always tell people maybe the the topic isn't exactly applicable to you but there's going to be nuggets throughout the podcast that you can pick up and mm-hmm. apply them to your situation, be it X, Y, or Z. You're going to find something from all of our guests. I mean, these the people we bring on here are, are accomplished, uh, pretty amazing people in, in what they do. So there's always going to be something we can pick up from them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think let's uh, enough of our talk. Let's bring on Robin and uh, get to the meat of the show here. So once again, our guest today, Robin Rada project manager at the Balter Company. Robin, welcome to the Volrath feed. Thanks, Chef. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? If, if I were any better, I'd be twins. Oh, no. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good day. Good for you. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I know um, with those of us that have spent some time in our industry, one of the things we always like to get to um, early on is once you're in food service, it seems like some way or another, you're always in food service. Mm-hmm. How did you get your start in the food service industry? Uh, That's a great question, and it's a long road. Um, (laughs) uh, I actually, uh, as in most people in the Chicago area, I started out at Schweppe. Uh, And um, uh, in high school, I uh, picked orders, climbed ladders, pulled down styrofoam cups, AJ8s and cherries and spatulas and so on to fill orders. And um, uh, later on, worked in their customer service department. And then I went away to college and um, got a degree for which I do nothing that even resembles what my degree is in. <laughs> yeah. But what I did learn was organizational skills, you know, not organizational corporate, but being organized, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I did go to work in my field and uh kind of felt like I wouldn't be able to make a good living. So I actually went back to Schweppe because they, at the time, had just created a showroom floor for uh, heavy equipment. And I sold onesie twosies, you know, refrigerator range, slicer. And um, and then uh, a couple of years into the, that, this was back in 1987, a couple of years after that, uh, there was a gentleman there by the name of David Hancock. And uh, he had been working there for many years, and he ran the contract division. And he uh, basically mentored me, took me under his wing, brought me into contract, and uh, taught me how to do do the work of design and project management and so on. Uh, as you guys probably know, there's no class for what it is that we do. There's no <laughs> 
book. There's no uh, way to learn other than doing it with somebody else who really knows what they're doing. And he was a real professional and made sure that I really learned how to dot my I's and cross my T's. You know, that was one of the things we were talking about on the front side of the show is that a lot of the skills and things you've developed in doing what you do are things that people could take into any position they're in, anything we do, uh, any job that's out there in the restaurant world or other, and really apply some of those principles and things that you you do. Dot the I's, cross the T, to be detail-oriented, make sure things are done right and on time, all that right. stuff is. Right. He developed those projects. That's exactly right. Um, you know, learning problem-solving, uh, learning how to be responsive when a client asks you for feedback or needs uh, needs information on a quick basis, um, having good listening skills, understanding what it is that are concerns for them uh, that maybe nobody else is quite getting, you know, really just uh, working as a team member, uh, you know, cooperation, those kinds of things. Um, all of those work well throughout, you know, in whatever role you find yourself. Yeah. A lot of those we people might look at and think, well, they're the basics, but okay, knowing them and practicing and doing them well are often different, right? Right. Exactly. Sure. So you, uh, you started then back at Schweppe and then how did you get over to the Belter company? Well, um, I, I left Schweppe after seven years, uh, went, went to the rep side for two years oh. the, at the dark side <laughs> <laughs> and uh, worked for a company called Miller & Stryker, very, very reputable company in the Chicago market. But I did that for two years because I really didn't find that it worked for me and worked for the way that my brain works. Um, and there was a gentleman uh, in Milwaukee at Belcher by the name of Paul Brodbeck. And Paul was, uh, he'd been around forever. And I went up and interviewed with Paul and uh, ended up uh, working for Belcher in Chicago uh, for four years. Uh, then I actually moved, uh, left Belcher on good terms, moved to San Francisco, uh, where I ended up working for uh, uh, East Bay Restaurant Supply. In fact, there was a consultant out in San Francisco uh, who... Uh, his name was Richard Cisneros uh, with Simi Little at the time. And uh, I had just finished a project for 3Com. This was back when it was U.S. Robotics and then 3Com and so on. Early, right before the dot-com days. And I called Richard and he was in San Francisco and I asked him uh, if I were looking for a job, what should I do? You know, who should I talk to? And he said, don't call anybody. I will make a phone call and I will tell you who you're going to work for. <laughs> and uh, because he wanted to make sure I was working for somebody that he also wanted me to work for so that he could continue to involve me in his projects, which, which kind of goes to, you know, how, how it is that you build your reputation, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously he was, pleased with the work I had done for him at 3Com. Uh, we had a great time. We had quite a successful project. I've still 
to this day, I've gone back into that building and seen the counters that I did <laughs> uh, back then. They were very custom. This was when uh, uh, they were first starting to design like spherical counters that, uh, you know, were pretty complicated to build. And, and uh, so the fact that he had found somebody who was able to do an, a successful installation for him, I think, was important to him. Hmm. Uh, so then I... Um, uh, I left East Bay after five years, went uh, to work for Myers Restaurant Supply for a couple of years. They had, East Bay um, was going through some transitions. I left there, no big deal, went to Myers, and then decided on a, a very last-minute basis to move back to Chicago because my my family, uh, my mother and grandmother were getting older. And so, uh, like many daughters do, uh, and some sons, uh, <laughs> we come back uh, to help uh, in their later years. And um, it's a great story. We were literally, you know, we had the two Labradors knocked out in the back seat driving cross country, had sold a house in San Francisco, uh, hopped in a, a rental van driving across country and I got a phone call and it was from uh, Eric Chaplick um, who was now running at the time running the Chicago contract office and um, I had I knew of Eric but I didn't know him personally actually but I did know Eric Belter very well and um, Eric Chaplick said to me, I, I understand through the grapevine that you're moving back to Chicago. And I said, yes, I am. Um, he says, do you have a job yet? And I said, no, I'm just kind of taking my time. And I figure once we get there and settled, we'll figure it out. And he said, well, Eric Belter wants you to come back to work for Belter. Hmm. And nice. I said, well... Let me think about it. <laughs> and so a couple of days later, I went to the office thinking that I was going to be meeting with Eric Chaplick. And lo and behold, Eric Belter was there as well. Hmm. So I don't think he wanted to give me an opportunity to say no. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll tell you what, it made a difference to me. Uh, the fact that he was there, um, it really is a, an example of the kind of leader that he is. Uh, very, very personal. Uh, Belter has always been about servant leadership. And uh, Bill Belter taught us that many years ago when I first worked for Belter. And, um, and you know, the fact that Eric Belter met me there and talked to me about coming back to work with him uh, made a big difference, made an impact for me. Well, it's that type of company culture that is really anymore just as valuable as pay or benefits you know it's the mm -hmm. stuff that keeps you there keeps you happy in in what you're doing and and uh all too often you, you find people who are doing what they love but then poor leadership makes them resent what they love <laughs> doing right. right that's so true and with belter um and many of our industry companies um i think you'll find they're all of a certain age, okay? Belcher just turned 90 years uh, a year or two ago. And they're all of, of an age where we're getting into like third generation 
uh, third generation is what typically fails. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's the generation that usually sinks the ship. And I will tell you that uh, Bill Belcher uh, was very adamant about his kids going to school, getting their master's in business, uh, going out in the real world, and uh, uh, having experience uh, doing real work, not just food service, by the way, but business, you know, how to run a successful business before they came in and uh, took on the role of the leadership roles in the company. And it really shows um, uh, Eric Belter and Rick Belter uh, are both leading the company. And now in this time of COVID, uh, they have really done a very good job during a really difficult time. Mm. Right. It's times like this where you really, really rely on that strong leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the good companies will, will survive it. And uh, some others, unfortunately, don't. So Yeah. I mean, they've made difficult decisions, mm-hmm. but we're still... You know, we're still succeeding and, um, you know, people have uh, good attitudes and are committed to the company's success. Mm-hmm. Ah, very good. So when you, you came back then to Belter, were you in the project manager role or were you in a, a different role when you came back then? No, uh, same as when I left. So uh, project management, but I also do design work, which um, I hesitate to say because I have a an excellent, excellent relationship with many uh, consultants, and uh, there was a time when, uh, you know, we didn't even say mention that we did design work. But, <laughs> but I think more of them are understanding that there are clients out there who like the idea of a design build uh, scenario uh, for the for the purpose of consistency. Uh, working with the general contractor and an owner from the beginning of a project through the end. So I actually do design work. I then write a spec, work within a budget for the client. Um, If there are shop drawings to be done, I solicit those, whether they're hoods, walk-ins, custom fabrication. Um, My my, uh, CAD operators do the MEPs for me. And then I work in the field, manage the project. Um, um, I think one of my favorite things to do is to uh, attend the foreman's meetings uh, in the field. Because I I do go every week. I'll go to the meetings and sit with the guys who are working in the field. And I really feel that it's imperative that I have a good relationship with those folks. My dad was a bricklayer by trade. And so I really understand, I feel like I understand, you know, and respect what each person brings to the table. And um, I I try to have a good rapport with the electricians and the plumbers and the pipe fitters, you know, and then I also, all of my installers are sheet metal guys, you know, and, um, you know, I, I call them artists. These guys it's amazing what they do with the stainless steel. I think you guys, uh, Volrath, you just brought on a fabrication arm, right? Correct. Yes, Newport. uh, And I was, uh, I'm trying, I'd love to be able to do some work with them because I, you know, to find a really good fabricator 
is is difficult. I mean, without one that can be competitive, but part of the reason I like to do design build work is that I can have things made properly and not, you know, not always have to go to a fabricator, let's say in nickel and dime them and try to get the cheapest uh, fabricated item. You know, I want, I, I like the idea of being able to um, provide the customer with exactly what I think is going to to provide them with the best piece of equipment, you know, the best utility uh, in their kitchen so that they can, can succeed in their kitchen. I really like what you said there earlier about how you get out there and you do the meet and greets. You get to know the people who are going to be installing and, and building your work uh, I think those relationships, and this is advice that anybody could take for whatever your job is, is to get to know the people that you're you're working with. And because when you can put a face and a to a name and then a voice to that, okay. uh, you start to create those those uh, emotional connections. So that not only will they help better understand what you're trying to go for. To me, I found that it you. You don't want to disappoint people that you know and that, you know, ra right. rather than just some email name or something like that, you know, it's it creates a stronger bond, which ultimately creates a better product. I agree with you. I, um, I definitely, you know, I mean, I don't always know much personal about the people, but but I do treat them with respect. Um, I always thank my guys when they're in the field. I, I profusely thank them. You know, when I see them getting out of the truck, I, I will go up to the truck and greet them. And, you know, I'm so glad to see you. Or I kind of shoot the shoot the bull with them, you know. And, uh, you know, I have I have a pretty decent sense of humor, so I can I can handle my own. I had three brothers, so I could dish it out. <laughs> um, and um, and I enjoy seeing them. And. And as you know, too, um, you know, our industry for many years was very male dominated. Um, I'm probably one of the few women who has been involved at this level for this long. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, most of my workmates, other than a handful of support people, were always men. And I would always kind of joke that it was kind of like going to, you know, working with my brothers because, you know, they didn't treat me. Uh, they didn't weren't ginger around me. You know, they weren't careful with what they said. And, um, you know, we we all, you know, felt very comfortable with each other. And, um, you know, I never, you know, I felt like, you know, this is just the way it is, you know. I remember back in the day at NRA shows when I never had to wait in line for the bathroom because there were no women there. <laughs> Same with NAFM. You know, well, yeah. NRA got busier with ladies. NAFM finally picked up, right? Uh, and there are pretty strong women involved now with NAFM. Sure. Now, when I was, uh, you know, early on, that was back when, you know, Louise O'Sullivan was the president of Grown. Oh, my goodness, you never heard it of a woman being the president of a manufacturing company in food service, but she was a leader back then, mm -hmm. you know, very few, very, very few of them. Now they're 
there are, you know, many more, many more. Yeah. So your brothers, uh, growing up, they, they treated you like, uh, like they were, they were, you were a, one of their equals and that's just helped you, you know, well, kind of feel did. that comfort. It did. I mean, we hung out in the yard and played ball and yeah. I was the youngest of four. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was a little bit smaller, but, uh, you know, I remember playing football in the, in the yard with the, with the boys and, uh, I was never big enough to be able to, uh, you know, make a touchdown. So every once in a while, my brother Mark would uh, hike the ball to have the ball hiked to me, and then he would pick me up and run me down the field <laughs> so that I could make a touchdown. So that was my once in a once in a while uh, success story as awesome. an athlete in the neighborhood. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, very very good. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you is, um, it, it, can you help under our listeners understand, we mentioned a little bit before about consultants and Belter is not, Belter is a dealer with design build abilities. Can you just uh, kind of articulate for our, for our listeners, the differences between what Belter does and also then what in comparison to what a consultant may do? Yeah. So, um, my with a consultant, uh, they are definitely working as an, hand in hand with an architect that's been brought to the the project, and uh, they are writing a much formal, much more formal uh, set of documents. You know, we're still all creating. Um, we're all creating the drawings. We're creating the specs, etc. Uh, we're producing budgets and going through that motion. But what, what happens with a consultant, ideally, is that they, they then act as a manager of the project in terms of the administration of it. Uh, the the, the uh, project goes out for bid then. So somebody like Belter or uh, Stafford Smith or uh, Trimark Marlin or what have you, I'm talking about the Chicago market. Um, uh, they will put together their numbers, their bid numbers, and then uh, the consultant will review them, make sure that they're to spec, uh, make sure that the dealer that's bidding on it is uh, is a responsible dealer uh, that has a good reputation, um, that's priced fairly, and then once the uh, job is awarded to a dealer. They really are the people that the dealer goes to for question, uh, answers to questions during the process of the project or that the owner general contractor go to. So they, they play a more universal role of uh, bringing everything together under the umbrella of the architect. For us as a design builder, you know, we're a little bit more focused. We still will work hand in hand with the architect and consequently their engineers. But um, the questions, you know, we're talking to ourselves, right? If there's a question, we're responsible for, for problem solving it. And, and quite frankly, if I made a mistake, I own it. I don't go back to the owner and say, oh, the consultant forgot something, uh, it's gonna cost you another couple thousand dollars. I can't do that because I wrote the spec, I'm responsible. So, you know, the fingers all point back at me. 
And, um, you know, I, it's, and, and if something comes up in the field, let's say we're working in a building that's an existing structure and there are all kinds of uh, challenging field conditions. You know, this is when design build is, is successful because we're all working to, in, a, in a space that changes on a sometimes hourly basis how we're, how we're addressing a situation. And it and it it allows for many many brains to kind of come together, problem solve, and we're all present. We all take ownership and uh, resolve the problem more expeditiously, usually than having to go through the administ the you know bureaucracy of, of getting an answer. So, what are some examples of those types of problems that you you see on in in when you're doing a job that come up and that you you kind of grab onto and just manage through versus how a consultant may take them on floors being unlevel, yeah. things like I mean, that. No, not even oh, that. It's no? much more complicated than that. So for example, um, I worked on a project many, many years ago in the city of Chicago and it was in a high rise, but it was on the first, first and second floor it was a white linen uh, place. And uh, what we came to find out was that uh, underneath the bakery kitchen, so it was a main back of house chef's area, walk-ins, et cetera, but there was also a designated area that was a bakery kitchen. Underneath that bakery kitchen was the electrical vault for about eight city blocks. <laughs> and, okay. And, uh, and there, were, there were probably two or three sinks in that bakery, uh, the pastry kitchen. And so ooh. we needed to figure out, well, how we can't drill, we can't pour, right? We can't have water going down uh, below the floor. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Well, we what we decided to do was to create a ramp from the main kitchen into the pastry kitchen and create a a uh, subfloor, you know, maybe about six inches, um, a raised floor. And that allowed us to run drain lines and water lines literally along that, along the floor, and then still be able to come up through the floor or through the walls for the rough ends to be able to put the sinks in. Um, fortunately, the pastry chef was about 5'2", so the loss of about six inches of height of the room uh, didn't make any difference to her, but it was one way that we were able to resolve that that issue uh, in the middle of the city. Huh. I'm sure you've seen just about everything, and that you know you're you have to be on point with your creative problem solving. You know? I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. I, I you know. Um, I love to solve problems. If if it, I'd always, I always tell people, if it were easy, somebody else would be doing it. <laughs> you know, that's why you hired me. I tell, I, I let them know that you know, our our job is to solve problems. It's not going to go smoothly. No job does, and I'll guarantee you, we'll run into some challenges. But my job is to problem solve. And what I normally do is if we do run into things, I try to 
to go to the client with two or three solutions so that I'm not asking them to solve the problem. I'm telling them, I've already, you know, identified the problem. I'm going to, here's what you can do. You can choose choice A, B, or C. Which one do you want? Here's what they cost. Here's mm -hmm. what they'll do to the timeline. Which way would you like to go? And I find that, uh, that people appreciate that uh, because they're not, they're not the experts. You know, they want to know from you, me, you know, mm -hmm. how to go and how to handle the situation. Oh, that's getting back to what we talked about a little bit earlier with that personal reputation. Mm -hmm. You have that, those problem solving skills and you bring that to the job and that's what gives you your personal reputation then on how you manage and, and uh, see the build through. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you, uh, Belter has uh, great success with repeat work with general contractors. You know, we have particular general contractors that we do jobs over and over and over again. They just, they want to use our project managers to manage their projects because they have such high success rates with it. And they also, you know, they know they're not, they're not going to get a bunch of old, you know, and they're not going to uh, have somebody try to kind of talk their way out of something. Mm -hmm. uh, they they really appreciate our professionalism, you know, the support people that we have, whether it's our project coordinators who are amazing. And, you know, if we're, we've got something broken that arrived broken, they're on the phone with the manufacturer trying to get a replacement or there's something in the field going on and I can reach to my CAD engineer and ask them, you know, to pull up the drawings. Uh, let's look at it together to try to resolve it. We have our, our average tenure in our office is, you know, probably 15 years hmm. or older. And we've got guys who, you know, they, they formally retired, but they still come in every day. <laughs> you know, they still come in. Uh, they're, they're mentors to, to younger project managers. They still get phone calls from their <laughs> clients. So they're passing along, you know, they're start, they're going to see those clients getting the, the pro program started, getting the job started so that the customer feels like they've got, you know, they still have that person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That says so much about the culture there and, um, and, and people doing a job they love. Right. That, right. that right there is. And food service in general, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, there's a lot of, we're losing people now, but I mean, we're, people stay in it for a long time. They don't stay in, in it because they're making gobs of money. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, and the, and the, uh, uh, margins have really gone down and particularly, you know, uh, for example, right now, you know, COVID is tough, but even back in 08, when, mm. uh, you know, we're, we're experiencing some similar situations where, you know, there, there are dealers giving away the store. I mean, just giving away just to keep their people busy. So when, when you are doing a job, and I know you start the job with a deadline, 
and I know how things can creep. And what are some things that you've learned over the years to make sure you're keeping things on track? Because that that's an important part of the build for the for the operator or the owner to make sure that the project is done. But yet with these things that happen along the way and we problem solve and mm-hmm. and, and and do all that, what, you know, that's a skill of keeping things on track. Any any idea or any good um, thoughts or tips that you can share with some people on how you do that? Yeah, I, I would say the two biggest things are constant communication with the superintendent. Uh, they're, they're getting better and better. They have so many tools now that they use with scheduling and so on to make sure that, for example, nowadays, my general contractor is asking, how many days is it going to take to run your refrigeration lines? How many days is it going to take to set up your walk-ins, to hang your hood, to do your back-of-the-house installation, to set up a bar, um, so that they're really allowing the appropriate amount of time. They're not just guessing. Are they asking you those questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yes. see. So they're doing a better job of gathering information when they're scheduling. And then we're, we're all meeting together with the other trades, by the way, and talking to each other. This is, this is before, this is a kickoff meeting, okay, to start a job. Uh, so we're talking to each other and saying, okay, if I get you this, you know, from this date, how many days is it going to take for your plumber to make all his connections? Because I'm going to have my guys start in another area. If you have questions, they'll come over and help you. But if you can get your connections done in three or four days, I'll come back then and finish up my work. So we're really communicating. And and part of that is also this this idea of attending the meetings, the weekly meetings. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're not present, they'll roll over you because... The perception is that you don't, you don't have any skin in the game. You haven't been there, you know. So if I'm there every week and I bring the donuts, right? <laughs> I I get more credibility. I uh-huh. get you know people are like, well, we'll ask Robin. You know they, you know, and and it used to be that you know I'd kind of get you know the side eye look like you know what could you possibly know? But I I speak up right out of the gate and try to answer questions with the guys, get their respect, make sure they know that I, I do know what I'm talking about and that I'm there for them so that I can make sure they look good. You know, we, they just need to know that I I respect them and respect Mm. the work that they're doing. I'm sure that's probably shifted uh, over time where they, automatically look at you with respect now because you know you've been doing it for so for so many years now that uh, your reputation That's why I don't color my hair. <laughs> <laughs> you've earned every single one. You darn right I did. <laughs> but but to your point Justin um you know I'll walk into the first meeting and I'll have my roll of drawings my MEPs and most of the guys have never looked at them. They haven't looked at them. Hmm. So they start asking questions. And I roll out my set, my documents, my personal documents. And every time they ask a question, I show them the answer on my documents. And pretty soon they realize 
Yeah. We guess we better look at these. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it really, you know, I, I tell them. And then what I usually do is I leave my drawings with them. Mm. And, you know, I, I always make sure to have an extra set because I know <laughs> none of them have the drawings in the field. Mm. And so it's getting better now because everything's electronic. But believe me, if I can leave a set of paper drawings in the field in a spec book, by the time the job is over, those things have been gone through so many times. Um, and it really does help them to understand, you know, and and gives them 99.9% of the answers because our drawings mm. are so good. Yeah. Show, don't tell. Yeah. Yep, you got it. So when you're doing a job, and let's say you're you're working with a, a client, how do you kind of get a f sense of what equipment you're going to spec as far as quality level or price point? I mean, do you just kind of get a, a sense of the operator? They tell you things that they want to spec, or is it up to you to spec, and then they say too high, too low, or, or how does that work, that whole process? Well, first of all, I, I obviously need a – several different pieces of information. I need to have a menu. You know, I need to know how many people they're going to seat. Um, are they doing just sit down? Are they also doing carry out, et cetera, et cetera. When it, most of the time I end up specifying the equipment by the brand that, you know, maybe we have a, the best buying power with, or it could be that uh, they have actually done some research and have actually gone to see, um, gone to a rep's office and done some demonstrations, maybe using a Pitco fryer versus a Frymaster fryer or what have you, maybe looking at a Rationale Combi versus a Sham. You know, they they maybe have done some research. If they haven't, I will actually uh, arrange and we will go together to look at how this equipment works, a Mary Chef versus a Turbo Chef. You know, um, mm -hmm. it it allows them to also get a little bit more in-depth sales pitch about each of those, more in-depth than what I would give, because um, I'm more about <clears throat> the function and, and the flow of the kitchen and the function of the equipment, not the difference necessarily between the two, although I can uh, give you a little bit of that. But, um, uh, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll assemble the whole project price-wise, budget-wise, uh -huh. and then we'll go into where that lands in their budget. Hmm. Um, I can usually tell, I don't do a lot of mom-and-pop places, uh, you know, um, but, um, you know, for example, I'm doing, doing one right now where it's a corporate ca uh, catering kitchen pantry. And, um, you know, we went from having all stainless steel counters with cabinets and doors and everything to now more like work tables, right? Because they, mm -hmm. once they saw the number, they're like, you know, we really didn't expect to put that much money into, you know, these rooms. So I, you know, I, I anticipate that mm -hmm. when I'm doing a spec. So I think ahead of time, I, I know I've got doors on here I can eliminate. I know I've got cabinet bases and so on. So I, I try to, to build some accessories or some details in so that I know that I can 
cut back if need be. Yeah, I'm sure you've had your fair share of nightmare clients over the years. And <laughs> but without getting into those stories, maybe we should. But but first of we all, should. what? All right, all right, we will. Uh, but I would like to hit on first. What what is an ideal client for you? What should what should uh, a customer or, or an operator have prepared before they go to a consultant or a designer? What are some ducks that they need to have in in a row? Yeah, the, I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, I need a menu. Because hmm. how do I know what equipment you it need all starts if I don't from know there. what you're making, right? Right, right. I was doing, I'm doing a project right now that uh, that I'm doing uh, gratis. Uh, it's a not-for-profit. It's, uh, it's a group that I've been involved in for many years. And, uh, um, you know, they need this kitchen. And a little cafe. It's not. It's not a huge project. It might be a couple hundred thousand dollars, but you know, I finally said to him, "Okay, I just, I just provided to you four different layouts, but I've really pulled them out of my ear <laughs> because you still haven't told me what you're going to serve. Now mm. let's let's do this. Let me make it easy for you. Is the cafe going to be like a Starbucks?" Let's, let's, you know, yeah. let's at least narrow down the parameters. So we got that narrowed down, but then their food, you know, they want to be able to teach their folks how to use the kitchen, but really most of the food's going to come from the greater Chicago food Dep depository that is going to pre-make, come to the building, have to be stored and refrigerated until the kids need to be served. So we've got like three different activities going on. We're serving bulk at, for the students, so to speak. It's a community center. Um, so we might do breakfast, lunch, and a snack during the day. But then there are those that attend that they want to learn how to use the kitchen, right? They want to learn how to work in, in a kitchen and learn how to cook or learn how to, to do the bookkeeping uh, as they receive the product and so on and so forth. And then you've got the cafe that you might have others coming in and ordering a smoothie or a cup mm. of coffee or what have you. But I really, I need to know what the menu is. I need to know approximately how many uh, you're going to be serving, if you have any, if you can do any idea of that. And, um, you know, that that's the most important thing. And And then I need a timeline. Uh, mostly for for price protection, but even nowadays, um, you know, we're having a challenge holding prices. Right, everybody's got price increases that are going on a regular basis of, let's say, every five six months instead of once a year. And there was a time uh, uh, three four years ago. Remember when the aluminum and stainless issues? where we were getting notice of price increases bi-weekly. Hmm. You know, it was crazy. That's and now just... I'll tell you what else. Now, uh, just very quickly, our biggest challenge right now is lead times. You know, we're telling people four, four to six weeks, and then the next day we're calling them and saying, oh, gee, I'm sorry, it's 10 to 12 weeks. Hmm. Well, my goodness, if we, if, if their schedule wasn't allowing for that because in normal times, you know, they planned accordingly. 
well, my dear, you know, we are just blowing the socks off of their schedule now. It's really yeah. challenging. There's so many variables that mm -hmm. are just difficult to account for on a day-to-day -day right? basis. So, right. COVID right. has placed uh, just a really hard, uh, put construction in a really hard spot with supply. It, it's yeah. so many supply and boats getting stuck in canals and all kinds <laughs> of stuff going well, on. That... I don't know if you know this, but, you know, we continue to work, you know, all year. We were considered essential workers, right? The general contractors and mm -hmm. our, us project managers. I mean, I was going, still going to job sites, you know, masked up and, and socially distant as much as you can look over a set of drawings mm -hmm. with five guys, you know, looking over your shoulder, uh. trying to read something. But, you know, there were quite, uh, there were a lot of protocols in place where, you know, I would get a phone, uh, an email in the morning saying the job site's closed, we had somebody test positive, you know, we have to go through our checks and balances and we'll let you know when the job's opening again. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite like that now, but to your point, you know, the supply chain issues, you know, with lead times and, and materials and parts coming from abroad, you know, have really created some challenges. So when these things come up, these challenges on the job site and and all the things that just in your world are natural and you, you have to deal with, uh, a lot of the guys, or I should say a lot of the people in some of the trades or whatever, you know, they punch the clock when their shift is on, they go home. For you, some of that continues to go on as you chills try to work through issues and, and do the job for your for your client to make sure that this bill goes as planned. But some of that's got to kind of creep into your time. How do you balance the demands of what you do and the time that you could, if, if you could spend every minute of the day, I'm sure your job would take it. And how do you manage that with, with your work-life balance in your personal time? Well, that's a good question. Um, the older I've gotten, the better I've done with just kind of creating uh, boundaries, right? Um but when you're in the middle of a hot, you know, installation, it's really hard. I remember a few years ago, we were having my grandmother's 100th birthday. Very important milestone, mm -hmm. I think you'd agree. Mm -hmm. And I, I was out in the other room for half of it, uh. trying to problem solve, which were kind of dumb things that were issues. Um, but pro trying to problem solve uh, at a job uh, that was at the end of its, sometimes it's when it's at the end is when it's worse, right? Not in the middle. But, um, you know, I, I just, it's not that I don't do that anymore. I just try to anticipate uh, when there's going to be issues. I'll, mm. I'll make sure that I, you know, I hire good installers you know, it might be cheaper to go one way, but, you know, on this job, it's complicated. I'm going to use these guys. Um, I used to run into the office and get a part if it was missing and drive it, you know, two hours to a job site. I don't do that anymore. I, I pay a messenger or I pay, you know, time is money. And um, I I just, uh, there are times, you know, I'm going to fire for my job after this interview, <laughs> but, but you know, I, 
you know, you have to decide what's worth spending money on and what's not. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we also are set up where we've got a better system of support. If I if I want to take a day off or I've got a wedding or funeral or something, I've got my teammates, the other people. We're not we're not cutthroat in our office. We're we really work together. And I can ask any one of our project managers to cover for me uh, so that I can, you know, take take care of personal business or whatever. And um, I think I think that's probably one of the things that's missing uh, as our as we've grown more competitive in our industry. Mm. Um, although, you know, some companies are changing. Now. We take everything from beginning to end. So we go. I if I either design or I bid, I mostly design, right? Right specs. I purchase, P, you know, I, I do the POs and check them after they're printed. I review the submittal drawings. I review the shop drawings, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of our competitors now are departmentalizing. You know, they have an estimating department. They have a, a purchasing department and they have a project management department. And let me tell you, from having done that once, the poor project manager is hair on fire all the time. <laughs> I was a project manager and I managed about, you know, several million dollars worth of projects. And all you were ever doing was putting out fires. Well, now, now I want to get back to the nightmares. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and clients. you don't have to go into detail about... Um, who they were, unless you want to, that's entirely up to you. But can you can you share with us some of your more memorable experiences that you could maybe laugh about now? <laughs> well, I I'll tell you what, I'll I'll share one with you because it's, it's the one that really sticks out in my mind. I was uh, working. Well, this guy said it was a not-for-profit. I still have my doubts. <laughs> Relatively wealthy person who was involved in building out a, um, we'll call it a, a, a meeting center, kind of a community center. But it was all stainless, uh, glass doors. I mean, it was tricked out. It was so all the cabinets had had glass in them, lights underneath the cabinets it was it was going to be very beautiful but this this guy was used to getting things when he wanted them how he wanted them for what price he wanted them um you know it was very demanding very demanding and very condescending and um at one point during our communication well a couple times the first time he called and he he really talked negatively about Belter. I don't know what kind of people you are, but you must not have been doing this for very long because you aren't doing, you know, you're not being responsive or you're not doing this or I wanted this marble for the solid surface on the tops of the counters and so on. And, um, you know, I took that personally. He wasn't, he wasn't even necessarily bad-mouthing me, but he was... He was saying that my the company uh, was not worth their weight in salt, and I hmm. took offense to that. So you know, I I kind of thought about it a little bit, 
Well, a week or so later, running into the same kind of situation, and he, you know, I ought to just, you know, take my business elsewhere. And by this time, I had put many, many hours into this, uh, into this project, drawings and so on and so forth. And um, I said, you know, I think that's a good idea. I think you should take your business elsewhere. Um, I'll refund you the design fee, 100%. I'm going to keep the drawings so you have nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we'll just, we'll just part company. Well, that's not exactly what I meant. And I said, <laughs> you know what? I don't do business with bullies. You're a bully. Hmm. Goodbye. Good for you. And that was the end of our relationship. And he was a bully. The guy was a bully, you know. And um, if there's one thing I've learned is that, you know, we we don't really have to subject ourselves to to that kind of bad behavior. You know, there's no reason we can't all just respect one another. Absolutely. You know, the right. customer isn't always right. No. And I didn't say anything disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, I immediately went to my supervisor, who at the time was Eric Chaplick, and I told him what I did and why I did it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, I said, I just want you to know in case you get a phone call or Eric Belcher gets a phone call. And uh, I don't think they ever did because I never heard anything else about it. Hmm. That project ever get done? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I moved on. I'm pretty yeah. much out of sight, out of mind. So yeah. I moved mm-hmm. on to the next uh, next project that needed my attention. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just, that's valuable for anybody. It's like that, that type of B2B relationship is just, it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not... It's not to be tolerated anywhere, you know, the, the, the bullying and it's just, we, I think as a society, we, we've come to a point where we can move past that and, and work. We don't have to like everybody and, mm-hmm. you know, be all kumbaya around a campfire, but we have to be able to treat each other with a basic level of respect. Well, it's just like with manufacturers too. I mean, you know, if you're not getting something when you want it, you don't have to go off on somebody who has absolutely no control. Right. Over what's going on anyway, right? Mm, um, right? My goodness, let's all do the best we can. You know, it's my brother used to, every time I, anything happened, my brother, all he'd ever say, it's all good. It's all good. We'll just keep moving. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. you know there's a lot to be said for that. You know, let's mm-hmm. just, uh, let's just do the best we can. And, you know, I mean, I'm not always even killed. My, my, the people in my office will tell you about once a year, Robin loses her shizzle. And, uh, and then they all hit the deck and climb under the, the desk because it doesn't happen very often, yeah. you know. But uh, um, well, it's nice when you can reserve it for the right time because people <laughs> know when to take it serious. Yeah, it's like, right? okay, duck and cover. Right, yeah. right. My poor dog, she would disagree probably. <laughs> Over the years, what are some of the things or what is maybe the one or two big things that you've seen change with what you do in design uh, from when you started to now? Is there something you could key in on that was maybe real popular then? It's kind of worked its way out and now anything like that you can think of? Well, I mean, during COVID, of course, the biggest change is carry out. Right. Um, so so I'm, I'm designing or just designed a new restaurant 
um, in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And one of the things that I would never have uh, thought about was that I have a dedicated pickup window now. This isn't a fast mm -hmm. food joint. Hmm. This is yep. a pub, a bar and grill. And uh, never would I have thought that, you know, behind the hostess stand on an exterior window, I'm going to have a window that Grubhub or, or Joe Johnson can walk up to and just pick up his to-go order. Um, and this is something that, uh, you know, we're designing into spaces now. That is a big change. Um, so that that's a big change. And then, you know, of course, uh, you know, gosh, we had, I mean, when we went through the whole healthy trend, I, I remember uh, designing at a business and industry, GE Capital, we had a 30-foot salad bar, double-sided, okay? Well, so ooh. you can imagine how much, how many fruits and vegetables and so on that were on there. Well, they, they can't use that right now. Uh, so everything is individually wrapped, uh, whether it's a pre-made salad or sandwich or uh, I think even, I want to say that even vegetables and fruits, you know, are individually packaged. Just like if you go to Whole Foods now and want to get a bagel, you're not taking the tongs and, t and bagging your own. It's already wrapped in cellophane, right? Mm -hmm. um, so these are these are things that um, you know have changed, um, you know, recently. I'm trying to think about um, uh, you know all the coffee drinks now, you know yeah. the uh, the cold brews, you know that's very new. Uh, the the beer the um, uh, local beers and everything. And then you're noticing now the trend of non-alcoholic uh, beverages, uh, which is really, it's actually nice to see. I mean, because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people, they maybe don't socialize or go to a bar. This is pre-COVID, uh, you know, they, where they might want to have a social outing, but don't really want to drink. And all your options are, you know, a soda or a, a glass of juice or whatever, you know, well, now there's more interesting selections. Um, there's no less than 25 different non-alcoholic beers at the local uh, liquor store now. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it used to be uh, Sharps and O'Doul's, you know, <laughs> yeah. and now there are all kinds of options and it's, it's a nice trend to see. That's for yeah. sure. Not everybody would agree with that. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're right. And in in like design of the space, is there more? I, I think kitchens have gotten smaller as we've gotten uh, a push on efficiencies. Is is that something you you would see? You would say is a trend as well? Yeah. Um, well, you've also got pieces of equipment that are multifunction. Right. You know? mm -hmm. um, they're well. You know, braising pans have always been great pieces of equipment with various, you know, you could do two or three or four different functions in, but, uh, you know, combi ovens, braising pans, uh, different processing equipment, food processing equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that, uh, uh, you're, you're just seeing some innovative pieces of equipment now. I think my favorite part of the trade shows um, is the innovation center, you know, really seeing 
uh, what's new and inventive and, and uh, you know, can do something that we're not used to. You know, there's also the robotics. Uh, now, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. I mean, now now you've got much You've got people really thinking about it. Now they might, it's going to have to be somebody who's got the money to invest, but uh, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more a robotic type, uh, uh, especially in like ghost kitchen kind of settings. Mm-hmm. Have you, had you had specs? Have people asked you for that product yet? Well, I know that there are, um, we have one client uh, as a company that, that does, um, uh, I want to say that I don't remember if it was BNI or university settings, but they've got the uh, sa- the salad dispensers. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say it was Sally or so. I don't remember. You guys probably mm-hmm. know better than I. But um, uh, you know, I think that you know, rem- if you think about it, you know, the Dick Tracy watches. Well, now we've all got. I, you know, the iPhone watches, you know, there are things that are, you know, Jetson-ish, right? <laughs> yes. If that's a word. And, um, you know, I think we're going to, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. Well, Robin, I, I got to say, uh, thank you so much, really, for joining us today. It was, uh, as Justin mentioned, uh, just a great conversation. Pleasure talking to you, listening, just to hear your stories, your experience, you know, talking about um, the work you've done and the, and the hard work you do and the dedication to your company and Belter, great stories. And, and they're certainly lucky to have you for as many years as they've had. Thank you. Appreciate we, that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's just been a pleasure. So, you know, one of the things we ask all of our guests when we have them on the show is because we, we realize that through your life, your career, somebody somewhere may have said something that continues to influence you to this day or, or you've read something. Well, I have two thoughts on that. The first is uh, my grandmother, who always said, a place for everything and everything in its place, mm-hmm. uh, which which really holds true to what, what we're designing, right? Mm-hmm. We, we really need to have a place to park everything that belongs in the kitchen, right? Mm, absolutely. But, uh, but I'm, a, I'm a fan of uh, John Steinbeck. I bet you've never had anybody quote John Steinbeck before. Not yet. You'd be the first. And uh, one of my favorite books, um, Travels with Charlie. Look it up. Uh, It's a great uh, wanderlust uh, story. Uh, But he says in it, I wonder why progress looks so much like destruction. Mm. And uh, I don't mean that in a negative or political way. It's just that. Don't, you know, when we go through things, start things, even in, in a time of COVID or or maybe, you know, the gutting a space for a new kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many places in Chicago, you know, we gutted the old post office. It had been sitting empty for decades. And now it's this magnificent, you know, structure that has all kinds of business and energy going through it, you know, or we've had. Uh, many, uh, many old co- uh, businesses that have gutted that are now hotels, you know, old banks that are hotels. Uh, we, I don't know about uh, up north, but uh, boutique hotels are especially, uh, uh-huh. you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. them going on. I've done in the last year and a half, I did two projects at Navy Pier uh, in Chicago. And uh, that was, 
that was a challenge because we were dealing with a lot of old existing structure. You know, the pier is well over 100 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention, we, we don't know a lot of the history of its engineering. So every time something was uncovered, you know, we were we were up against, you know, uh, okay, what do we do with this? And then the people who were trying to do everything by the code, you know, they needed it to be done a certain way. Um, so you were kind of pulled in many di- different directions. But, but again, you know, th- we just built a Hilton property on Navy Pier. You can stay, you can now stay hmm. off, off the pier and have a view on three sides of uh, Lake Michigan. Oh. Uh, so these are, you know, that, that started out with destruction, demolition. Yes. Yeah. yeah, let's use the word demolition. You know, maybe <laughs> that's a little kinder and gentler. Uh, but uh, anyway, there you have it. No, that's that's no, so true. Yeah, because it, even when you're cleaning your garage, you know, it's you got to make a mess before you, mm-hmm. you you can find a home for everything. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm all for when we reuse old buildings. I just get really sad when we tear them down. Right. You know, mm-hmm. to reuse them is is is. That's the better way to go for sure. Yeah, but, just don't let them stand empty for so long. Right. No, right. Only bad stuff happens. That's that's true, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, Robin, again, thank you so much for today. It was a lot of fun, and I'm sure our listeners, I would say whenever you, we do these shows that maybe even if the topic isn't exactly what someone is into, they're going to get some nuggets. And I think today, a lot of great nuggets from you again. So thank you so much for it today. We wish you the best of luck and uh, everything going forward. And thanks again for being on the Volrath feed today. Thanks, Chef Rich. Justin, appreciate it. Good, thank to, you. good to meet you both. Likewise. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Justin. Well, to, to put it as you say, tie a bow on this one. What do you, <laughs> what do you think? Uh, there was so much to, to really dive into and, and to – Look at with the magnifying glass there because her years of experience really have a lot to unpack there because, and what, what I got from it was this, this overarching theme of your reputation and how well you do your job has a direct effect upon everyone else that comes after you in that space. So mm-hmm. how well you do your job ensures the potential for success for a restaurant or a chef because- they can only do their job as well as the space that they've been put into. It seems to me that they really are kind of like unsung heroes. You know, they they do their job and they make it so that other people can be successful. We we did talk a lot about that, and I I kept thinking back to that statement she made about uh, your personal reputation and your brand. Right? It's it's so important, and she knows that when she's done with that job. They're going to remember what she's done. And it's just like that in other areas of food service as well, Mm -hmm. whether you're, you know, the busboy at at a restaurant, the chef, everything you do can can reflect back on you and and the guest experience that day. But it also reflects all the way up the ladder to everyone involved in the restaurant. So being careful of that and and where she talked about, um, you know, understanding and, and getting ahead of problems, gaining that wisdom about when things are going to change. Those are all things that she does to make the job that she's on and working on a better outcome for the customer. All right. Good one again today. So, Justin, wrapping our, our part of the show up then, any last words for you? You know it. I would like to remind everyone to 
hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And we would also appreciate it if you would take a moment and let us know what you think. You got an idea for a topic, for a conversation, send it our way. Absolutely. Reach out to us and let us know any of those things at uh, volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as always, I'll end the show with my quote of do everything as if a customer were watching you. Always make sure you're doing it the right way. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.